and welcome to Pet Chat. We're joined today by Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob, what's your special subject? Sounds like I'm on a quiz show. <laughs> I guess I am. I'm just... <laughs> You'll be grilled. I'm, I'm the one with all the answers, apparently. <laughs> We're going to talk about cats getting into misadventure. Okay. Mm. And Julie Tolliday is with us as well. We're talking today, Julie, to... We're going to talk to Belinda Carter, who is an advocate of feeding your dog a raw food diet. So we're going to talk about the advantages of that. Pet Chat on 2NURFM. And today we're talking, Julie Tolliday, with Belinda Carter. We are indeed. Hi, Belinda. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. That's fine. Um, ringing, well, we're talking to you today about your advocacy for raw food diets for dogs, and you're a big fan of these, aren't you? A big fan because there's too many uh, humans are told to not eat processed food, and I don't think people realise that when they're, when they're feeding their dogs all this dry food and tinned foods, they're actually feeding a highly processed diet, and it's just not good for the health of our pets. Well, I've actually heard that even processed food for dogs, they can't digest it properly, so they're not going to get the nutrients. No, I mean, it's sterile food. It's cooked at highly um, high temperatures. The enzymes are destroyed. The, the vitamins are, are changed. So it's, the, the dog actually, you know, evolution hasn't created animals which can eat cooked food. Yes, so for this evolutionary reason, you're, the product that you uh, lean towards is... Um, trying to replicate what these dogs would have as a natural diet. Definitely. I mean, a lot of people would like to try feeding their animals raw food. Uh, I think they're worried about making it balanced. Are they going to get the right calcium levels? There are a number of products on the market which do that for you, um, and it is still a raw food diet. Um, One of the ones that I feed personally is called Vets All Natural, um, and it's, it's making sure that all the vitamins and minerals are balanced, but it's still a raw diet for your pets. Yes, and what makes what's in this raw food? Like what, what, what um, product? What uh, ingredients are in the raw food? Well, predominantly uh, dogs and, and particularly cats are meat eaters, so we need to feed them lots of good quality protein. Uh, they also require a small amount of carbohydrates and just lots of vitamins and minerals appropriate to their species. Okay, so, but uh, some of these natural diets on the market, like they tell you to go out and buy ground up bones and, and, um, really weird things that I wouldn't even know how to, um, access. So is this one that you're talking about, is it messy and do you have to go and get lots of bits? No, no, you can just pick it up from your local pet shop, they can order it in for you. I mean, if you think about it in the wild, if a, if a I know it's horrible to think about, but if a dog was to kill a small animal and eat that, they're going to get a little bit of bone, a little bit of muscle, um, some organ meat, um, the stomach contents of maybe that little rabbit that they've killed. So that's what we're trying to replicate. And and in particular, the Vetzel Natural Diet covers all those vitamins and minerals they would get from eating in the wild. Yes. So do you find that dogs, uh, their behaviour changes when they're on a diet like this? A lot of highly processed foods are deficient in omega-3, and omega-3 is a natural anti-inflammatory. Um, when you pro- when you make kibble and you cook it at 170 degrees, um, a lot of the like a lot of the proteins and a lot of the, the vitamins don't survive, and omega-3 is one of them. Um, so yeah, being a natural anti-inflammatory, if they've got any sort of inflammation in their body, including in their brain. By having, by having the appropriate omega-3 levels, you'll find their behaviour can improve. 
Okay. Is there any, do you lean towards any sort of, uh, any particular type of raw meat? Like is, is, is there, sometimes people say, oh, kangaroo will make the dogs like too crazy or some people say turkey meat helps them relax. Do you have any preferences for like the sorts of meats that you'd use? Well, myself and the vets that I work with, we do prefer like free range type meat. Oh, of you know, course. No one likes to think of the mass produced chickens in the, in their sheds and, um, and yeah, mass produced animals. So that's probably why kangaroo is so popular because it yes. is essentially free range and mm. it's very lean. It is high, very high in protein, so it can give your dog lots of good energy. Um, yeah, there is tryptophan in Turkey, so you can, you know, if you get onto the Vets or Natural website, there's a lot of information there about what particular protein source people can choose. Oh, but, but we are a big fan of kangaroo because it is, yep. you know, not really, you know, we can't say it's organic because they just graze wherever they want to graze, but they are free range. Yeah, so uh, do you have a recommended number of feeds a day for dogs when they're on this sort of diet? Uh, with raw feeding, um, I personally, with pups up to 12 months, feed them twice a day. And then, uh, you know, once they hit one year of age, they go into one a day. Uh, but I also do give them lots of bones, give them something to do during the day. It's yep. really good for dental health. And chewing is a natural stress relief for dogs. So Yes, I, I agree. They generally pull apart the lounge. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I've seen your little puppies pulling apart a, a, a carcass of some description, which certainly looked as though they were learning a lot from that. So this, the, so a raw food diet, of course, is going to be moist. So can you do those regular things with it, like stuff it in a Kong and freeze it? Oh, definitely. Um, in a Kong, um, and I'm trying to think of um, different ways that you could, um, yeah, but the best uh, toy for a dog is a bone, and a bone appropriate to the size of the dog. So if you've got a dog which is like a large Rottweiler, he might choke on small chicken necks. Um, so you've got to give him a size-appropriate bone. Um, if you've got a small dog, obviously, the large femur out of a cow is going to be a little bit like Mount Everest for a little yes. dog. Yes. So then maybe a chicken wing might be better for that dog. Yes. Okay, so thanks, Belinda. That's, I, we've got some good advice there on the pros and cons of, of natural feeding. So thanks for talking to, to us today. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Bye. Belinda Carter. This is Pet Chat and... We are, in fact, taking your calls. We'll also be hearing from Dr. Bob a little later about cats. But at the moment, we have Stephen on the phone. And, Stephen, you've got a problem with your dog. I can't stop him barking. He's just waiting all the time at the um, gate for somebody to walk past and bark at them. It's getting worse. What sort of a dog is he, Stephen? Pardon? What sort of a dog is he? A legato. Yep. And... Um, and any other dogs in the house or just him? No, no, just him. And you take him from... He's quite a smart dog. But, yep. You know, I know everyone says that, but he is quite crafty and bright. Yeah. So what we have to do with, with intelligent animals and intelligent people, we have to give them good things to think about rather than them practising the problem behaviour. Mm. So if you can, keep him away from that gate. Make sure he gets plenty of exercise Make sure that you practice sit-stay-drop training to help him to practice self-control at all times, so in the house, in the backyard, on walks, wherever you are. Not so much right at the gate, because the closer you are to the trigger, the more aroused he is, the less able he is to learn to be calm. Okay. So same as us, if we're calm and relaxed or enjoying the subject we're learning about, it sinks in. 
if we're a bit worried and we're bouncy and we're worried about what's going to happen, we're not just not quite sure whether we're going to actually be able to think about what's going on. And so we're just not sure whether we're going to be able to remember it or not. So it's the same with the dog. So the further away and perhaps past a partial barrier around the back of the house, sit, stay, drop with treats, but watch his body language very closely so you're not accidentally reinforcing arousal and excitement. Anything else, Julie? I was just going to say one of the best things for barking is to get yourself a set of Kongs, uh, and the Kong is that rubber-shaped toy that, or you can get lots of different varieties, but a rubber toy that you can stuff damp food into and then freeze it because the frozen food is going to take ages to get out of it. And while the dog is lying down and extracting frozen food from there, it's not barking. And another thing I've been doing heaps lately is going out and hiding treats all over the backyard and letting the dog go out and use its nose to find those treats because the brain switched on, the nose is working, and quite often they need a big sleep after a 20-minute sniff. Plus they go around again during the day and go, oh, I missed one. Exactly. I'll go to do it again later. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about those collars and things? I have actually tried a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, collars really have a welfare aspect. Um, citronella, dog has a sense of smell 10,000 times that we do, so you're spraying something up a very sensitive nose. It's not fair. I wouldn't do it to myself or my children. Why would I do it to a dog? And really, it's about punishing. It's not about interrupting, redirecting, rewarding good behaviour, giving them good alternatives. It's about, yeah, doing the wrong thing. If, if I say to him, you know, like, he's barking, right, it really is a problem. The, if I say, you know, like, no bone, he knows what I'm talking about, and he'll actually stop. Or if I say to him, no walk, he'll stop. He sort of stops. He's recognised those words associated with something unpleasant. Yeah. Far better to preempt the barking, don't let him go near that spot, take him to a place where he can actually practice good things. So, good advice. And uh, Marcus is on the phone too. And uh, Marcus, you've got a comment about uh, kangaroo meat. We were talking about that as being a good raw food. Yeah. Hi. uh, Hi. um, How you going, Marcus? Bob and Julie. Hi, Marcus. Dr. Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, yeah, my concern about kangaroo, apart from the fact that uh, look, I wholly endorse uh, whole food diets, so I've got to endorse that thing because I think they're really great. I think that's a, a great thing to, to be looking at doing for your pet. But uh, kangaroo meat, um, it's, it's high protein but very low fat, so it, it could be a real problem diet in itself. So I would, dis- I would discourage people from using or getting animals um, um, you know, fixated on a diet of just uh, kangaroo meat. But the other thing that we've got to think about is the way in which the animals are harvested. Yes, I think it's really important that those welfare aspects are considered um, after the problem with the horses in the National Park. That was really terrible. Um, National Parks and Wildlife, Vet Association, RSPCA, all getting together to work to a better way of doing these things. And it needs to be done because with the media the way it is, we're just, we are under examination for whatever we do. So I think that's very true, Marcus, that we need to be careful about. We support the right suppliers. We know what's happening. The same as butchers. Are they getting it from an appropriate abattoir? All that. We need to make sure that, that we're trying to support the, uh, the world in a, in a good way. So yeah, very good point, Marcus. Thanks for that. We are taking your calls on 49216216 and uh, 
That's the number to ring to get through to us for Dr. Bob and Julie Tolliday today, our pet experts. And hello. Uh, who, who have we got on the line now? Is that Helen? Helen. Helen, great. Um, um, I have a problem with a cat in my street. I've always had um, animals and I've always taken responsibility. Um, the neighbours have had this cat since it was a kitten, but they've now moved away um, and left the cat here. They've never, ever took responsibility for it in the first place. And it's always fight, always fought with other cats in the street and it gets in the yard and as I say, they've now gone and abandoned this cat, so it's sort of relying on people in the street to feed it. But it's virtually a feral cat, and I'm just wondering um, how I can solve the problem of this cat in the street. We're on the bush here, and I've got a bird-friendly yard, and um, I can't keep the cat out of the yard as well. So that's a concern to me too, that it's killing off the local birds as well. So. I'm it just is, wondering what I can do. It is a very difficult one. Unfortunately, people don't realise how important it is to be responsible for the animals that we have. Uh, so, unfortunately, if it has been around for a while, it's possibly trap shy. So it may not be um, easily caught, but that might be the first option, either from council or a higher place. Uh, you can actually hire a trap. You leave it open, place some food in the trap for a few nights, leaving the trap open, and then... Um, set the trap and as soon as you find it, the cat in there then take it straight down to the, your local um, RSPCA or, or shelter and they can scan it for a microchip but as you suggested it's unlikely it would be microchip but um, the other thing that I would possibly do is to letterbox drop your street and just put a little note in there saying this particular coloured cat appears to be not owned it's causing trouble for um the birds in my yard and it will be eating native wildlife so uh, if you can please not feed this animal and we'll see what we can to get it to uh, the appropriate facility so it can be yeah um, assessed and see whether it's actually reasonable often these animals that have been roaming around especially if it's a tomcat when they're desexed they become yeah house kittens they just settle down really nicely but if it is a bit wild then that puts a different slant on things but yeah it's not fair for it to be out there affecting yeah. everybody else. I thought else. that's what I could do but I was just making sure it's not that wild the kids in the street play with it so okay, I don't think good. I'd have a problem catching, um, it, catching and, it but I was yeah. just wondering whether I was quite entitled to do that since the cat is, has been abandoned. You are especially if it comes into your yard and it's a community um, yeah you're volunteering to help the, pla- the community that you live in and yeah it's someone that's been irresponsible and you're hopefully doing what we all should do. Well, good luck with that, Helen. And Ruth is on the line now. Ruth, um, oh, you've got a dog question. I have, that's right. How can we help you? Um, I've got three dogs, a Labrador puppy who's eight months old and two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Um, and I keep trying to introduce meaty bones into their diet. They have chicken wings and that's okay. But every time I give them anything, it gives them diarrhoea. Um, for two or three days. Um, and I'm at a loss because when we were kids, we always gave our dogs meaty bones, raw bones, with no problems. And I'm just wondering, does the modern dog have a problem in its gut because we've fed them so much chicken? Or have you got any thoughts on the matter? I think, Ruth, as Julie was and Belinda were saying before, because of the excess um, processed food that we often give our animals, it does change the bacterial... Um, uh, content of the bowel so feeding some probiotic yogurt or extra probiotics may help 
Um, it is a bit of an issue, especially if you've got three dogs, always if you're going to give them bones, feed them totally separately. One inside, yeah, okay. one in the laundry, one in the garage. High-valued resource, very likely to cause some rivalry issues. And especially yeah, no, they're the... well supervised. It's not Good. a problem. And um, so if it, it does happen, it might be the source of the bones or the type of bones. Try a different species, so cow or lamb or goat or any of those things that, yeah, just see if there's a particular food sensitivity that might be causing that. Um, the young Labrador. Three different dogs, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it may be, yeah, it's just the processed diet, so I think it's better to, as we're saying, a little bit more, as you said, when we were younger, raw meaty bones was what we gave the animals and they survived, so increase the vegetables and that sort of thing, see how that goes. To NURFM, it is 19 to 1, and Dr Bob, we are talking about your special subject, you're on in the spotlight now, and it's cats and misadventure. I guess as a GP vet, I see an awful lot of cats that have been out and about, and when the cat's outside the house... You've got a number of different issues. Misadventure is just a general, if you like, um, uh, way of calling it. They can get into fights with other cats over territory. They can get AIDS or leukaemia from those bites. Um, they can actually um, ticks or snakes or other forms of, of trauma or poisoning. They can get hit by a car. Remember what curiosity does to the cat. So they are just everywhere. They're inside drains. They're up trees. They're doing all sorts of things. They're putting themselves in danger. And so in my opinion, if you keep your cat inside, it doubles its lifespan. If it's outside, they're just so much more likely to get into trouble. They can cause trouble to the neighbours as well. They can actually poo on their lawn or in their garden, in their vegetable patch. They can be harassing other people and you say, oh, no, my cat's fine. It doesn't do anything. But you don't actually know what the background is. The other thing about cats is they are just the supreme predator. They really are very good at catching things. Now, that's not all cats, of course. There are some that um, like to watch them and the bird steals its cat food from in front of it, but... Um, some cats like are very good at um, stalking, waiting. In fact, there's a couple of different names for them. They can be um, sedentary generalists, which I think is a great term, but it means they sit around waiting for whatever comes to them or they can actually be very specific in what they go for. So cats that are more towards where there's rabbit warrens and things, they will actually sit outside the rabbit warren, wait for the kittens to be born, the mm. pups to the, what do you call a baby rabbit? I've forgotten. I think you had it right the first time. Sorry. Is it a kitten? I think it is a kitten. I think it is a kitten. Oh, dear. I'll have to go and look that up on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so be very careful. Please keep your cats inside. But there's a welfare aspect to that as well. If they are inside, we have to provide appropriate enrichment. We have to give them things to do. When I go to people's places with cats, they always say to me, the cat wanders around the windows following the sun, sits on the windows windows seal and you see them behind the curtains as you're driving down the road they're sitting there soaking up the sun doing a bit of grooming it's a hard life so really it's just providing that access they love elevated little shelves to sit on so put a bit of a blanket a towel rub your hands and feet on that familiar family aroma helps them to sit up there as julia was talking about before kongs with dogs you can get kongs for cats mm chicken necks and wings or turkey wings and necks. You can also just leave little bits of dry food around the house and that way you don't have to... It, it won't attract the mice because the cat, the cat is there, of course, but it just 
to help them to wander around and do something, use their brain for good, as we're trying to say, Stephen, with the, the barking dog. Use the brain with good things, enrichment, training, um, keep uh, finding different toys, that sort of thing. And with cats, if you are playing with them, again, kids tend to want to lift them up towards their face. They want to bounce things in front of them. So use like something, a, a bit of string off a fishing rod and dangle a toy. They love to pounce on that. It's far better for them to pounce towards a lounge rather than to your body, which, yeah, sometimes can bleed. So it's very important that we look after the welfare, health and behaviour of our cats. If we're kept inside, we can certainly have them for much longer. So it's, it reduces their risk. This is Pet Chat and we've got Dr. Bob and Julie Tolliday with us and we're taking your calls. And Anne, you've got a question for Dr. Bob. Yes, hi, Dr. Bob. We've got a little Staffy. She's 20 months old and she's got a white um, sort of down her chest, which is now very inflamed. We've had it to the vet three times and there's a vet we've gone to for the last 20 years with all our dogs. She's been on cortisone tablets and cortisone cream and we really don't want to keep her on that. We've Googled it and we tried Telfast antihistamine and I just got some... Pie and tart, P-I-N-E-T-A-R-S-O-L. Yeah, yeah, to try it with that. But it's really inflamed again this morning and I'm just at a bit of a loss. Allergies are very tricky things. We actually now have a specialist, veterinary dermatologist, that comes to Newcastle once a month. So if you are um, getting towards the end of your tether, as is the dog, then that's certainly a good idea. Um, Rashes, uh, like in people, are often very difficult. So... Um, one of the first things, I guess, being a staffy, um, is have they done a scraping for demodectic mites? No, she said it was grass. Yeah. They said it was grass. It was underneath, cool. underneath it usually is. If it's on the rump and base of the tail, usually flees. Yeah, okay. No, Pat- it's on a chest, under a chin. Yeah. And down the front of a chest. And you don't have any wandering dew in your yard? No, we haven't. It's yep. all well maintained all Good. around here. We do take her for walks, but yep. I haven't seen any... Um, but she could have got in some to start with, and it's, yep. it's been going on now for about two months or more. Okay, so it certainly sounds like you need to get some more testing done, and your local vet can organise that, or they can organise a referral to the specialist. Yep. Having allergies myself, it is just really important. Just ice water um, on a washer onto the really red patches, then heaps of moisturiser to create a barrier between your skin and the rest of the world. And sometimes that works really nicely and sometimes I try and rip my neck off. So I understand where the staffy's coming from and um, I would certainly be trying to reduce the access to grass, walking more on the on footpaths and reducing dairy perhaps and maybe on a sensitive skin diet, upping flea control to make sure that's not an extra trigger to the allergies yeah, that might be there. Them. I, actually, she used to have chicken wings and chicken necks, but I've cut them out in the last two weeks and it, just it hasn't case. changed. No. And I think, too, the other thing that, that happened to me, I was just, we're just talking about my mum who's 90 in September, and she's in Warwick, and so she has the air conditioners up really high. I was actually up there for a few days a couple of weeks ago, and I got a heat rash because I was so hot inside. Yeah, okay. So that's yeah. another thing that often she's dogs... She's always hot there. The rest of her body is cool, yep. and she's always hot there. Yeah. She's been dissexed, and I wonder yeah. if that can have something to do with the hormones sort of thing with that. Not usually. It usually calms down the, the potential yeah. for reproductive hormones to be a contributing factor to problems. So um, it certainly sounds like it needs some more work up so I'd get back to your local vet and they can do some more work for you.
That sounds like good advice. Good luck with that, Anne. And Noel's on the line. Noel, how can we uh, help you? Or hello, who? it's his wife, Denise. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, yes, we have a... He's about three years old, and he has cataracts in both eyes. What sort of a dog is had, it? Uh, well, he's a good mixture. Good. There's about uh, six different breeds. Yep. Um, from Alsatian, um, Ridgeback, um, Staffy, Kelpie. All the usual. Anyway, <laughs> that, that are genuinely there. That's good. Um, and he's about the, he's a little bit taller than a, um, uh, Kelpie. And when did it, when did the cataract start? Well, it was a, about 18 months ago. Okay. And um, they've just gotten worse and worse. Okay. And our local vet said that it would take cost a lot of money. Well, he's my son's dog, and he's a pensioner. Okay. So um, I would still um, I would still suggest that um, again we're fortunate um, to have specialist veterinary ophthalmologists that come up to the hunter um, about once a month on the 14th or 15th of the month. I would, if you can, save up to get him along to them because they see these problems all the time. They're much more able to diagnose exactly what it is. So they're able to then give you an idea. It is something's going to get worse or there is something that we can do about it. Um, uh-huh. And so I would certainly suggest you contact your local vet. They will have the times when the, those um, um, vets come up and they'd be able to organise um, that for you. It is something that's really important because, as yeah, as we all know, losing sight is just something that's very difficult for many people in our community. So yes. animals yes. we need to look after as we do for people. Hope oh, that helps. No, look, that, that, yes, very much so. Thank you very much. Thanks, Denise. And uh, we do actually have another rash question here now. <laughs> I thought once we started getting rash, we'd be more rash. Michael. How can we help you, Michael? Hello. Um, look, um, just uh, listening in and, and um, heard you speaking about the veterinary dermatologist that comes yes. to Newcastle. Yes, we, only we've recently. We've got a Westie and she has a chronic situation. She's yes. on a pill every day of the week, you know. That's it. And um, I, if yeah, I there's would, any chance, I'd like to get to see this veterinary dermatologist. Can yes, you give I me would, a, a telephone number to contact him? That's right. I would talk to the, um, um, the Newcastle Animal Referral and Emergency Centre. And uh, they're actually yeah, booking appointments for her. And yep. Danny's really lovely. She did a talk to all the vets a couple of months ago. And she's really, she's an Australian. She's been over in America doing a specialty training. And mm-hmm. she's back mainly in, in fact, I think she's fitting over a few different states at the moment. But the more questions we give her, the more likely she is to stay more in Newcastle. And so <laughs> Westies, as you said, certainly have a, a predilection for yeah, skin problems. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Michael, if, well, if you would like to stay on the line, we'll see what we can do about getting great. a number for you. Thank um, you very much. Right. Thanks, Michael. And uh, to a new RFM, it is Pet Chat. And, Julie, you've got something that you would like to talk about today. We're talking about dogs, aren't we? Yes. Well, I, I just, I've got this interesting information that, believe it or not, I found it on a packet of dog treats. And from my professional point of view, it's some of the best advice I've ever seen. So um, everybody's got advice, but from where I stand, this is this is a bit of advice that I really like. There are 10 points here. We mightn't get 10 in, but uh, we'll just go till we, can, we need go. to stop. Um, the first bit of advice is expect your dog to act like a dog. 
Don't take it personally when he exhibits typical canine behaviour. He's not being bad. He's just being a dog. And I did a visit with a lady yesterday who said that she's really upset that the little dog that she took on four months ago, when it escapes at the front door, it won't come back. And, and a lot of people say it hurts my feelings because I've been loving that dog so much. Why doesn't it want to come back to me? But it needs to be treated like a dog. And what we did was we worked a lot on this lady having rules and routines for that dog so the dog understands that direction comes from her. So that's why I like that first point. The second point says no more free lunch. Dogs are happiest when they're exercising their predator skills, make them work for their food, like stuffing it inside chew toys, hiding it around the house, or teaching them tricks for food rewards. And the more often you can even just take a handful of their normal diet and get them to do a few things for it, then the bigger the bond, you're getting a better trained dog, but the dog is realising. And one of my favourite authors says dogs like to work for what they get. They actually feel more fulfilled that way. That's interesting. Yes. So the third one says start off tight and slack off later. And I couldn't agree with this more. Rather than letting your dog run wild for the first few weeks and then clamping down when the behaviour isn't so cute anymore. So, um, yeah, starting with a tough routine, get the dog understanding who's the boss, and then you can loosen up from there. Sounds like and we will definitely revisit that list, Julie. Sounds great. Thank you very much for Pet Chat today to Julie Tolliday and to Dr. Bob. And we'll be back next Wednesday after the, the news at midday.